Northridge, it's a beautiful late summer Michigan night. The sun is getting ready to set in front of me, and I think it's the perfect time to give my very last unforgettable speaker introduction because the sun is literally setting on this series. And I have to tell you, I'm, I, I am shocked a bit that the summer's over, but I am so thrilled with what God's done through it. Each speaker has brought a unique touch to the Northridge family and impacted me. I hope you've experienced the same thing. This weekend will be no different. Our teaching pastor this weekend has been teaching in the Chicagoland area for years, but now he's the lead pastor of Cherry Hills Community Church in Colorado. He took over after a founding pastor and he's now leading it into the next generation of impact. And I have a heart for him because that's what I did here years ago. I came here when I was 32. It matches what he's doing, but more than anything, we have a love for the church, we have a love for God's word, and we have a love for communicating it in impacting ways. I can't wait for you to hear them. Would you give a big Northridge welcome to Shane Farmer? Hello, everybody. It is good to be with you, Northridge. It's so good to meet you. And uh, thank you, Brad. I hope you're having fun on a sailboat or whatever you're doing right now and getting some rest before the fall run. Um, I do want to say I, I just have had such a great experience getting to know your pastor. I mean, clearly he's a gifted leader and, and teacher and evangelist and all of that, but I was most impressed by his humility, and I'm so grateful to be entrusted with the pulpit that Jesus has entrusted to him, and so I don't take that lightly. And it's very, very good to be with you. As you heard, I spent 10 years in the Chicago area, now have been in the Denver area for almost five years, coming up in October, but I'm originally from Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma City. Any Oklahomans out there? Oh, we have one? We have at least one. There we go. Um, yeah, not, not, not a ton of Oklahomans up here in the Detroit area, but it's good to be with you. Now, I don't know about uh, how your growing up was, but I'm gonna guess that your parents maybe had some phrases that, that were particular to them that they just like to ingrain in you. My mom, one of hers was think before you speak. She said it all the time, and I'm so grateful. Uh, and every time, I needed to hear it a lot, because every time I don't do it, um, I just hear my mom saying, think before you speak. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm 37. I should have this by now. But uh, I still fail to follow that advice at times. Hopefully, I will not do so this morning. But nevertheless, one of my dad's favorites, he said, if it seems too good to be true, it it is, or some of you had the probably. My dad didn't have the probably is, it was just, it is, you know. If it seems too good to be true, it is. And so I would say, you know, I, I've probably avoided a few scams in my life, thanks to my dad. Um, I, I have not easily gotten taken advantage of in this world, thank you, dad. Um, but there are times when something comes my way, and I'm just convinced this is an exception to the rule, Right? This isn't too good to be true. It just is, it is true. Like not long ago, someone came and said, hey, we have a beach house in Cabo. Would you like to use it for free? And I thought, this seems too good to be true, but it is true. So yes, of course, we will use your beach house in Cabo. Who wouldn't? So my family loads on a plane. Some of you see where this is going. 
My family loads on a plane. We head to Cabo. We're like, man, this is, this is great. What an exciting time. It's going to be free. And so we get there. The second night, I wake up in the middle of the night with a little rumble in my tumble. And it doesn't feel like something I had experienced before. And I'm like, this isn't good. And, and about 30 minutes go by. And at this point, I am now having contractions, okay? No woman has screamed in labor like a man in the middle of the night, okay? So I, I'm giving birth to something. I don't know what it is. I'm thinking, did I eat some fish eggs a couple? Of, what, what, what's happening to me? I'm having flashes of the uh, scenes from the movie Aliens kind of running through my mind. I don't know what's going on. But eventually the pain gets so severe, my wife, she runs up, she gets her friends away. It's like, we got to drive him to the hospital. So now it's at like 3 a.m. in Cabo. We have no idea where we're going. We're trying to find a hospital. Now, I like to think that I got pretty high pain tolerance, except when I have a cold or the, you know, the man flu. Then I lay around and pout and whine like most of us men do. But nevertheless, um, I, I like to think I got a pretty high pain tolerance, but the pain is so intense and it's hitting like every two or three minutes. It's like contractions. And, and I'm puking in my hat. The pain is so severe. So when we pull up to the first hospital and it's closed, I'm, I look at my friend. I'm like, are you trying to kill me? You drove me to a closed hospital. He goes, look out the window. We're all going to die. And I look out and I'm like, get out of here, man. Where are we? I just, it was a dangerous looking part of town. Finally, we get to another hospital. This one's open. It's not very big. We get inside and I, I, I am like doubled up on the floor. I'm hurting so bad. And they won't even begin to attend to me, they say, until they get a deposit. And I'm like, how much is the deposit? And I say, $1,500. My wife looks at me. I'm like, I don't care. Just give them the credit card. The lady goes and takes. She runs the credit card. She comes back, says, your credit card's declined. I'm like, declined? Well, you know, I gave her the debit card. She goes, it, it's declined too. Now I'm laying there. They won't help me. They're saying my cards are declined. My wife's, you know, in Mexico in the middle of the night on the phone with the credit card companies. And they're like, no one's even tried to run your card. The machine wasn't even on. I'm about to die, and I'm in a hospital. They don't even know how to use the credit card thing. And I'm like, what? what's going to happen to me? So finally, she gets the credit card to run now that it's on or whatever. And in comes the doctor. I know he's the doctor. He's got the white coat and, you know, the, the badge thing. But I'm just going to tell you, it looked like Doogie Howser met Fabio, okay? This kid's got hair down in the middle of his back. And not, not, nothing wrong with long hair. I'm just a little jealous, you know. But nevertheless, um, he's got a belt buckle on. It says, got beer, question mark. And it's a bottle opener. His belt buckle is a bottle opener. The first words out of his mouth. He says, if you need your appendix removed, are you okay with me doing the surgery or would you request to be flown back to America? Now, anybody have the gift of discernment in here? <laughs> I didn't need the gift of discernment. I knew if I said I was okay, I was leaving without an appendix whether I needed it or not, you know? And so I'm like, no, we're not having surgery. And my friend goes, where's the real doctor? <laughs> I was like, he's like, I am the real doctor. My dad's words just started, you know, running between my ears. If it seems too good to be true, maybe it is. Turns out I just, you know, had the normal bacterial infection. And apparently your intestines can spasm sometimes when you get this. They gave me one shot. It's called an anti-spasmodic, I believe. And literally it just went, went away, like within a minute. It was all gone. And so, you know, $1,500 later, uh, my free vacation to the beach. <sighs> you know what's 
if you've got kids, you know this. Family trips to the beach are actually kind of hard. I mean, don't you think? And, and they're hard because it's supposed to be relaxing, but it's actually the most dangerous place on earth. You know what I mean? You got sharks, stingrays, other kids stealing your kids' pool toys. Like, am I supposed to just lay there in my hammock and hope that my kids don't get pulled away by the undertow, you know? Uh, our trip, our free trip, yeah, to Cabo, it turned out to be about as relaxing as a vacation to the Gaza Strip. So, you know, if it seems too good to be true, maybe... It is. Now, all humor aside, if it seems too good to be true, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And if you heard that growing up, it's probably saved you um, from getting taken once or twice. But there is a problem in that as well. And the problem is, is that there are some things that we read in the Bible that, if we're honest, it just seems too good to be true. And I've been wrestling for the last couple of years of what do I do at a conscious or subconscious level when I read those texts that just seem too good to be true? Do I end up pulling them down to my experience level or do I allow my experience to stay hungry to come up to what it seems to be saying is true in the scripture itself? I'll give you an example. Um, you'll be familiar with this most likely. Mark 11, verse 24. These are the words of Jesus himself. He says, therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it'll be yours. This seems too good to be true, right? Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you receive it. Matthew 21, 22, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only will you do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. Now that seems too good to be true, right? And whenever you read a verse like this, it seems too good to be true. What do you do? Do you tend to kind of pull what the scripture says down to what you've experienced as a Christian so far in your life, if you are a Christian, I should say, or do you actually let your experience level falling short of whatever it seems to be saying is true, stay hungry until it comes up to it? I don't know about you, but I think naturally, I just think it seems too good to be true. I pull the scripture down. But I've been wrestling with this, and something that God's been speaking to me about is that Shane, you have looked at too many mountains that stand between me and my kingdom coming on earth and into your life, into your church, and you've just accepted them as my will when in fact I wanted your faith to grow until you moved the mountains so that my kingdom could advance. And I started realizing maybe I'm letting myself off the hook too much. I'm just saying any old mountain, if I prayed once and it didn't move, uh, must be God's will. I should just accept that mountain. What if more mountains could be moved? How many of you like it when mountains get moved? I bet you do like it when mountains get moved, when mountains that are coming against the people of God and coming against the will of God and the kingdom of God, things that stand opposed to what is right and true and just and whole and heavenly in this world. I think we like to see mountains moved. But I do believe Jesus is telling us if we want to have Prayers that move mountains, they have to be prayers of faith. So I just want to look at how could we have more mountains being moved in our lives? How can we have the faith 
to speak to the mountain the way that Jesus is talking about. How do we do that? Matthew 17, verse 19 through 21, gives us a little bit more insight. The text says, then the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, why couldn't we do it, Lord? Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we drive it out? And he said, it's because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I'm gonna tell you the first secret to this kind of faith is understanding that moving mountains never happens when we see them as a mountain. That's the first understanding about mountain moving faith is mountain moving faith never actually sees a mountain. Yeah, you ever notice what kind of worried, stressed out people do all the time? They think about the problem. They meditate on their problem. Oh, they mull it over, their problem. They like to talk about their problem. They actually turn molehills into mountains, right? Faith moves mountains because it doesn't see mountains. It sees miniature little molehills. You know how? There's some insight right here in this text. You ever thought about this? Don't you think it's kind of interesting? Jesus is talking to them about how much faith they have and don't have. And so naturally, like, he's trying to get them to have bigger faith. But he's like, you should have faith the size of a mustard seed which you all know is like almost microscopic. Now, as a teacher, if, if I'm Jesus, and I'm trying to make the point, you should have bigger faith, I probably would pick something besides a mustard seed to illustrate my point. He's like, hey, your faith's too small. You know what you ought to have? You ought to have like a microscopic faith. It's like, what are you saying, Jesus? What are you getting at? If Jesus wants you to have big faith, why does he choose the smallest of all the seeds to tell us that faith that size would be enough to move mountains. Here's why. Because our problem when it comes to faith is we always start looking inward and staring at the size of our faith, the size of our faith, the size of our faith. Jesus is saying microscopic faith enough to move mountains. You see what's happening is Jesus is saying that faith, it's not about the size of your faith. It's about the size of the one you have faith in. It's not about the size of your faith. The power of faith is not the size of your faith, it's the size of the object of your faith. And what that means is that a big faith and a small Jesus is a small faith. A big faith and a small Jesus is a small faith. You can have faith the size of Texas and a Jesus who's not gonna move any mountains, at least in your belief, and good luck seeing any mountains hurled into the sea. But you can have a tiny little microscopic faith in a Jesus who's a miracle giver and you're gonna see a lot more miracles in your life. You don't need to work on the size of your faith. What we need to do as believers is work on the size of our Jesus. Sometimes I like to think of that mountain, you know, that, that I just believe with all my heart. Wouldn't God want that hurled into the sea? You know, maybe it's a mountain of anxiety and fear coming up against me or against the people of God. Maybe it's this mountain, maybe it's that one, but I kind of, I, I picture it, you know, as like uh, towering over me or a situation or my church family. And then what I do is I imagine Jesus standing next to the mountain. This just helps helps me with my faith. I imagine Jesus standing next to the mountain, and I always imagine that the mountain, after I built it up and how big and grand it is, and then Jesus is standing there, and the mountain goes up to about his big toenail. 
And then I start, I start thinking about how big Jesus is and my faith grows to the point where I can speak to the mountain, get up and out and be hurled into the sea. As long as we are looking inward to try to find faith that's big enough to hurl mountains into seas, we're not gonna get very far. But when we begin to focus our eyes on how big he is, our faith grows. You know, right before Jesus went into the temple, he cursed that fig tree, right? And then on the way out, they see the fig tree has withered. And if you're familiar with the scripture there, uh, it says very plainly, it's not the season for figs. Like, it would be impossible for that fig tree to have fig newtons on it at this time of year. It's just not possible. And yet Jesus cursed it for not having figs. And there's a parable, of course, in Jesus' actions. And I think that there's a lot of stuff happening here. But in one thing I think Jesus is saying is that in the new covenant, when we are the temple of the living God, he expects the impossible. He expects impossible fruit at impossible times because the spirit of the living God is no longer gonna be confined to a brick and mortar temple, but living in the flesh and blood of God's people. Part of us growing in our faith is really understanding deeply what it means that we are the temple of the living God. A lot of faith comes from there. Take a look at Mark 1, verse 40. It says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand, he touched the man, and he said, I am willing. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Have you ever stopped and reflected on the fact that this verse says that Jesus was indignant? Indignant. Why would Jesus be indignant? It's because the man asked Jesus if he was willing. For Jesus to be asked if he was willing was just insulting. I don't think we understand that for Jesus To have us question his willingness to exercise compassion is just as offensive as us questioning his power. What do you mean, am I willing? See, the man knew that Jesus could. He just didn't know if he would. Insulting. And this is us today, isn't it? This is the very thing causing the faith of the American church, in my view, to be shrunk. We have faith that Jesus can. We just lack faith that he is willing. We lack faith that he's compassionate. We lack faith that he's that generous. We know he's got it to give. We just doubt he is willing. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And so he healed their sick. Faith in a Jesus who can, but who isn't compassionately willing. It can be bigger than life, but it can't move mountains. Now look, I'm the first person to say, if God says no and we ask him if he's willing to do something, then we, we learn to accept, okay, well that thing, that messenger of Satan, my mother-in-law, who, I mean, whatever, um, 
not supposed to be taken away from me, you know? But I believe that we've accepted far too many mountains. And we need to lead, not with the belief that it's too good to be true, but that it is true. And see more mountains hurled into the sea. Did you notice that the man begged Jesus on his knees? I think we tend to assume that God likes that sort of thing, just begging him on his knees. Of course, knees is an appropriate posture of humility and worship before God, and that's completely a good thing. But that's different than begging. Have you ever thought of the fact that maybe begging God is actually insulting? Begging intrinsically assumes that God is not generous. Begging intrinsically assumes that he is slow to give. Beggars on the street beg us because they assume we will not give them anything. What does it look like when a son or daughter of God is begging him? You see, orphans beg. Sons and daughters don't beg. Orphans beg. Sons and daughters don't beg because an orphan has little faith in the father's heart. But a son or daughter has much. How do you approach the Lord in prayer? I believe that a breakthrough in faith comes out of the spirit of sonship, spirit of daughtership. That's Romans 8, 15. You received the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Whenever you are hearing the voice of the Spirit within you, it's saying, I am a son. I am a daughter. But I'm going to tell you, the enemy wants to come in and whisper a different message to you, that you're an orphan. That's the orphan spirit. It believes that God doesn't really love him. The orphan spirit believes that God doesn't really like her. The orphan spirit believes that God is maybe generous to everyone else, maybe unconditionally loving to everyone else, but somehow they're the exception. That's the orphan spirit coming against the spirit of God within us that is of sonship, that is of daughtership. And the one that cries out, Abba, Dad within us, I'm going to tell you, it's never the spirit of an orphan that enables us to be Jesus to the world around us. It's only the spirit of sonship. It's so important that we get this. So here's the thing. The next time you approach God and something starts to come over you where you start feeling so sheepish to even ask him to move a mountain, to do a miracle that would bring testimony and give him glory and, and bring praise to his name, but you start getting sheepish about it and, and maybe you start hearing that voice. It's like, you know you what? You shouldn't even be asking this because let's be honest, you definitely don't deserve that sort of thing. And then, you know what? I think you lack favor with God and you start having these thoughts run through your mind that somehow you're on the outside, you're an orphan, you don't really have a place, 
at the table, you know what I want you to do? I want you to say, shut your mouth because here's the thing. The spirit within me cries out that I am a son. I am a daughter and I will not doubt my dad's generosity. And then I want you to soak up that truth of who you are, a prince in the kingdom of God, a princess in the kingdom of God, clothed with Gideon's army, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and then look at that mountain, and I want you to tell it to go where the sun don't shine. Amen? Of course, I mean the bottom of the sea. I don't want to be inappropriate. You know, my, uh, my deck, my deck got so old that this summer I had to tear it down, and, and I rebuilt it myself, and I told you that just to brag. Um, I'm confessing. I confess that I am Bob Vila now, and uh, <laughs> I do have a new deck, but I built it this summer, and I did have some help, um, but early in the summer, uh, I was making one of my many trips to Home Depot, and I had my son with me. Of course, I go in. I'm like, I just need this one thing, you know, so I don't get a basket or anything. By the time yeah, I'm heading out, I'm like trying to drag everything, you know. I got to have all this stuff I didn't know I needed. And, um, <laughs> and so my son's with me, and he's like, I want to carry something, Dad. But I'm like, great. And I had this, you know, I had these post hole diggers that were way too heavy for him. And I, was, I had this little bitty level. And I was like, here, why don't you carry this? And he was like, no, I want to carry something big. And I, so I was trying to problem solve for a minute. I was like, oh, sure, sure, you know. Hey, how about you grab that end of the post hole diggers and we'll carry them together. And he was like, great. I was like, all right, you walk in front of me. So, you know, we're walking and we, we got those post hole diggers and he's just feeling like a manly man in Home Depot carrying something big. And what he didn't know, of course, is that I wasn't at the other end. I was in the middle. And I was just thinking, you know, this is a pretty good picture of what faith looks like when we understand the Father's heart for us. He wants us to co-labor with him. He requires for the advancement of his kingdom in this world that, you know, we grab one end. But he's not at the other end. If we think he's at the other end, our faith will never rise to its maximal potential. He's in the middle. That's how faith works. That moves mountains in the kingdom of God. You know, my challenge to us as a church is, you know, every Christian believes two things. Every, every Christian has this basic 101 level faith. And it involves two things. One, in heaven, everything's going to be taken care of. You know, I mean, it's like if you're a Christian, you, you believe that, that ultimately everything's made right in heaven. That's true. It's very important. Me saying 101 doesn't mean it's not the best news ever. It is actually the best news of all. But it's a very base level of faith. And I would say similarly, even non-Christians um, believe that if they believe in God at all, believe that God can do anything he wants right? These are the great equalizers. Everyone believes in heaven, it's going to be great, and God can do anything he wants. 
And if we want to allow our faith, now a lot of people just would rather just not go down this road at all because it does put a little bit of responsibility on us to actually grow and how much we trust him and how we see him. But we have to move from not only God can, but that he is willing. It doesn't mean that he has a will that we're not gonna understand. At times he's gonna say, no, I want you to stop asking for that, and here's why. But do we believe that he is willing? This is the beginning of growing to faith that moves mountains and sees more miracles for the name and glory of Christ. And second is to understand who we are in him. You know, I referenced us being temples. I, I, I believe it's so important to understand who we are in Jesus if we're gonna have mountain-moving faith. You know, I'll, I'll close with this. This was um, something that happened to me back in January that uh, really helped my prayer life to go to the next level. Uh, we were in worship, and I actually, I had a vision in worship. Now, don't wheel me off to the ward. I don't have too many visions, because you can't have too many. You know, you'd be crazy. Um, but uh, I'm being facetious, of course. I asked this question last night. I'm kind of curious. How many of you have ever had a vision or a dream that you knew was from God? Raise it. So, see, we can all go to the ward together, okay? Uh, fantastic, but... Uh, it was during a worship time, you know, in church. I think it was right before the nine o'clock service. And all of a sudden I had this vision and I could see myself as a boy. And I could see God the Father. Now it's a vision of God the Father. It's not like I saw God the Father, you know. But nevertheless, I, in this vision, I saw God the Father reach down and he picked up me when I was younger uh, under the armpits and then he, he turned and he sat him in the chair. So the father sits down and now the boy's sitting in the chair right next to him. But as soon as the boy was in the chair, I became the boy. It wasn't watching from the third person anymore. Now I was looking from the first person, but I was no longer a boy. Now I was like fully grown me, me. And I'm like, I'm sitting there. I remember getting filled with so much energy, so much excitement that I wanted to run, which is random, but nevertheless. So I get up and I'm running and now I'm running, holding hands with Jesus and not just jogging. It's like we are sprinting. It's like, yeah, let's go. And I'm like, wow, this is wild. And I'm running with Jesus. And then there's this wall that's coming. It's like a cylinder block wall. I'm like, we're running right towards that wall. And I look at Jesus and he literally just like a football player, he just lowers his shoulder. And I was like, sweet. So I lowered my shoulder and we ran and literally just boom, right through the wall, the vision ended. And then I'm like, I have no idea what that means, but I'm crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta get up there and preach. You know, like, what was that? And so later when I get a chance to pray about it, I'm like, that was amazing, but what, what was that, Lord? And, and then I, it stood out to me, I was like, wait, why did the father sit me in the chair right next to him? And then I had my heart sank. I was like, oh, that's Jesus' chair. I had no business sitting there in Jesus' chair. This must be a vision from the devil, you know? And uh, all of a sudden these scriptures started coming to my mind as I was in prayer that, you know, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Our life's hidden with Christ in God. The verses about us being united with Christ and one with Christ and And it just began to dawn on me that if we're going to have a prayer life that 
you know, runs through walls. We're going to need the faith that comes from understanding that if we're in Christ and he's in us, that there's no space between us and him. And once we begin to believe and accept what God has said to be true of who we are, thanks to Jesus, our faith begins to skyrocket. And our prayers become more effective. And more mountains that stand in the way of the advancement of Jesus' reign begin to get hurled into the sea. And I don't know about you, but I think our churches and our nation could use a lot more mountains hurled into the sea, amen? So I am praying for the people of faith to grow in faith until we stop accepting mountains and start moving them. Why don't we stand together in closing prayer? And as we stand up, I do want you to know that uh, prayer team's gonna be available after the service. Maybe there's some mountain that's coming against you and, and maybe you're thinking, you know what? Maybe God hasn't told me to accept this one yet, but I just have because the first time I prayed or whatever, it didn't move. And maybe you'd like for some others to join you in faith and praying for that mountain to, to move out of your life. Let me pray for you as a church. And even as we do, Lord, I'm just coming and, and I'm kind of picturing that, that mountain and Jesus, you standing next to it. And I don't know what the mountains are that, that stand between this community and more of your kingdom and your reign being released and unleashed in their midst, but you know what they are. I don't know what the mountains are in each of these individual people's lives that are coming against them and coming against their family, coming against their relationship with you addictions, anxieties, anger, disappointment. I don't know what it is, but you do. And right now, at the best of our ability, we imagine those mountains. And Jesus, we imagine you standing next to it, and it goes up about to your toenail. We just remember how small this mountain is in comparison to you. And not only, Jesus, do we believe that you can, but we believe that your general posture, your general posture is that you are willing. And we speak to those mountains, be uprooted and hurled into the sea. And all who agreed said, amen, amen. Great to be with you all this morning. I hope you have a fantastic Sunday afternoon. And don't forget the prayer teams are available.
No sacrifice can now repay. 